me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. And today we will dwell upon the testimony of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3, verse 12, the prophet Daniel, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, wrote these words. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps and the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him 
and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Would you pray with me as we go to the word of God this morning? Father God, we thank you that in your divine providence, through your Holy Spirit, you have left us this historical account. That you wanted the testimony of these three preserved so that throughout the generations of your people, we could look to them and see what it means to stand for you in a fallen world and to know that you are with us in all that we face. So I pray as we take time to consider your holy scriptures this morning that we would be encouraged by the testimony of these three. But more than that, that we would be encouraged that you are the God who stands in the fire with us. Be with us as we come to seek your guidance and your word. And it is only in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. As Kathy mentioned, I teach U.S. history at Simon Kitten High School, and I probably have like a weird, unnatural obsession with history. I love history, and it affects every part of my life. So when you think of vacation, when it's not disrupted by a pandemic, when you think of vacation, you may be thinking Myrtle Beach, or you may be thinking Disney World, or a cruise. But when I think of a vacation, I think Gettysburg. I think Plymouth. I think D.C. and Boston. I love visiting historical sites. I love going to see things that were so influential in history. Now, I've never been there, but in New York City at the South Street Seaport Museum, there is a ship that has now become a museum. I want to show this to you. This ship is called the Pecking. I'll bring the ship up here. And to board the Pecking, which was completed in 1911, is like an exceptional opportunity to walk backwards in time. The ship is completely preserved, and you can bring your family and you can tour it. And that sounds like a vacation to me right there. My little ones would probably rather go to Disney World, but that's Disney World to me. And that's exactly what David Anderson was doing in the spring of 2010. He took his family on a vacation. He was from California to New York City, and they went to tour the pecking in the spring of 2010. And though it was spring, the weather was very cold, and the waters beneath were 40 degrees. And what started out as a great day of vacation turned into a calamity like that. See, David didn't notice that his two-year-old daughter, Bridget, was standing too close on the ship to the water, and she fell 40 feet below into the icy water and vanished. And the onlookers grasped, but immediately David Anderson jumped into the icy water. And one onlooker said, for a moment, they just both vanished beneath the surface. But then David emerged. There's actually a picture of the event from that day. And he had his little girl, Bridget. And they said for a moment, she was silent. And then they heard what had to be the most beautiful sound, Bridget crying, breathing, alive. And what a dad who jumped in to this dire situation his daughter was in and saved her. 
You know, in Daniel chapter 3, we see three individuals, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they too have fallen into a dire situation. But it wasn't an accidental situation. They faced the wrath of a king who wished to rob God of something only he deserves, worship. And that's why I believe when we look at Daniel 3, 12 through 23, we see this application. When you encounter impossible circumstances, learn from past believers. This image that Nebuchadnezzar had created is a form of false worship. And false worship is a form of control. The leaders of this world, many of them know, those who seek to use their leadership for evil purposes, that if they can control what you worship, they control you. And so Nebuchadnezzar has commanded that all should bow down to a false idol. Now, if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wanted ease, if they wanted riches, if they wanted luxury, it was theirs for the taking. Look with me again in verse 12. In verse 12, it says this, There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. These men were not outcasts to the king. They had been propped up by the king. He had given them authority and power. If they wanted a life that was just rooted in worldly success, there it was given to them on a silver platter. However, look at the faith of these three. They would not embrace the gift of worldly pleasure if it meant they had to turn their back on their God. And what we don't see are three men who say to the king, O king, we have named it and claimed it, and we know that our rescue is certain. Therefore, in certainty, we will serve our God. That is not the testimony of these three. Look with me again in Daniel 3, verse 18. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They trust that God is able to save them. But if God does not save them, they would rather be thrown in the fiery furnace than turn against their creator. If the creator saves us and if he delivers us, we will worship him and we will praise his name. And if he doesn't, and if we perish, we will worship him and praise his name. God is so valuable to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that he's more important to them than good circumstances. And we see the impossible become possible when, yes, through divine intervention, these three men are rescued. We saw how David jumped in and saved Bridget from, from the waters. But here we see God jump in and save these men. Look with me in Daniel 3, verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up with haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men 
unbound, walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Throughout the ages, many followers of Christ have considered that this fourth individual is an early manifestation of Jesus. But remember the heart of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But even if he doesn't, even if he won't, we will still remain faithful. Circumstance did not dictate their allegiance to God, even though God did intervene and do the impossible for them. But I believe what God does for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is a foreshadowing of what God ultimately does for all of us in Jesus Christ. We may be reading this, and we may be thinking, man, I wish God would jump into my circumstance like that. I wish he would show up for me like he did for these three. But what if this account is given to us because ultimately God has for us? This has been a crazy year, to say the least. A momentous year, an historic shift in our society and the societies around the world with everything we've been dealing with with this pandemic. 2020 will definitely go down in the history books. But it was a momentous year for me, for in 2020, I had 10 years down tenured as a dad in this world. My little boy, Caleb, turned 10. And I can't believe I've been a dad that, that long. A few months ago, we took this picture, and that's my son right there in the Taekwondo outfit. And a few months ago, he received his senior brown belt, but now he's already a, a red belt. And this is a picture we took. Now, as you can see in this picture, sister, always ready to take a picture. Little brother, not so much. And I think only took like, you know, 50 pictures that day, so I don't know why he's He's so upset. But I still just couldn't believe it when my boy turned 10 on March 8th. Right before all the COVID stuff hit, on March 8th, my son turned 10. And I, I can just remember reflecting back, just thinking that I was going to be a dad. I remember I had this ultrasound picture of my son. And I could see his hand just reaching up in the ultrasound. That's when it really started to get real for me. Like, I'm going to be a dad. And I, and I could just see this, and I posted it. And my wife and I, we, we had an amazing pregnancy. Uh, here's a picture of my wife, Leslie. And uh, that's my mom and dad. And, and we're just waiting for Caleb to be born. And everything went great. Pregnancy was great. Everything was looking good. But then Caleb was born. Now, for a normal person, our blood oxygen saturation is 95 to 100 and when my son Caleb was born, his was 68. He could not survive in that state. And we went from a stable pregnancy to a life-threatening crisis like that. Now, I want to be very real with you. When that happened, I was angry with God. And I called my brother-in-law to me and I said, would you pray for me? Because I'm just angry right now. My, my son is suffering, my wife and I have this emotional anguish, and he prayed for me. And God in his grace intervened. 
and the anger went away, but the fear and the anxiety were there the entire time. I had to leave my wife and go to Children's Hospital with my son, and there the doctors explained to me that my boy had transposition of the great arteries. His arteries and his heart were backwards, and the only way to save his life was open-heart surgery. And they explained to me that while they could give my son a better heart, they wanted me to realize that he would never have a completely normal heart. They said that the success of the surgery had, had, had a great high um, ability to, to fix his heart, but that afterwards we would be dealing with a lifetime of care. We don't get a walk away from this. His life would be one of consistent observation and perhaps future interventions. And what do you say to something like Now, I'm very thankful this morning because my son is doing very well, a very active 10-year-old boy, but I remember walking in post-surgery and seeing my son. You know, I, I think of the story we examined earlier, how David jumped in the ocean to save his little girl, Bridget. And I wanted to jump in, and I wanted to save my boy, and there was nothing I could do to help him. I wanted God to jump in like he did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I did not want my boy to face this his entire life. And when situations like this happen, the question is unavoidable, right? Why? Why did my son have to face this? Why did my family have to go through this? But in those days and in those moments, I felt God impress something on my heart. And when I looked at my boy after his surgery, I felt God impress on my heart. Aaron, do you see your son? Do you see your boy? Aaron, I let my son die for you. And I understood the cross in a new way. And I do believe when we face seemingly impossible circumstances, we must consider the testimony of past believers but I also believe this application. When you encounter impossible circumstances, consider the choices of Jesus Christ. Turn from the book of Daniel and turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 37. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 37. And here we see that Jesus Christ himself faced circumstances that seemed unbearable. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 37, says this. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It's fascinating when you consider what God called his followers to do in the past. What he called the saints of old in the Old Testament to do, Jesus, the Son of God, was also called to do 
and his incarnation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were handed the world on a silver platter. If they wanted riches, they had it. If they wanted worldly success, it was there for the taking. But they desired the glory of God more. They loved the Lord knew. And Jesus knew he would forfeit a worldly kingdom. He would lay down his very life and make no mistake about it. The Son of God felt fear in this choice. He was afraid in this mission. Jesus was afraid as he was thrown into a situation that would end in the fiery furnace of God's wrath against our sins. My Father, let this cup pass before me. Remember, what did we see in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? A hope that God would spare them, but a commitment that even if God did not spare them, they would remain faithful. And here, what do we see of Jesus? Verse 39, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus in the same mentality. Father, I know you can save me, but even if you don't, I will remain faithful. If they spit on me and insult me, I'll remain faithful. If they beat my back with a cat of nine tails and rip open my flesh, I'll remain faithful faithful. If they shove a a crown of thorns on my head and the blood trickles down, I'll remain faithful. If they pierce me, Father, I'll remain faithful. But friends, make no mistake about it. Jesus didn't have to. He didn't have to. Skip down, same chapter, Matthew 26. I also have the text up here. Matthew 26, verse 51. In Matthew 26, verse 51, it says this, And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once Send me more than 12 legions of angels. I believe the scriptures teach that what motivated Jesus above all to go through with all of it was a desire to glorify the Father. That is mission number one for Jesus. A longing to complete the Father's will. To right all that is wrong with this world. The Father deserves glory, and Jesus will give it to him. But friends, this is the good news today. You are intertwined in this choice. You are considered in this decision. And the Apostle Paul reflects on this good news. In Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul says this. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul thinks about that. On the cross, Jesus loved me and he gave himself for me. And we can rejoice just like Paul did. 
I have a high Christology. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. But I also believe Jesus is God the Son, and that matters. Everything that is true of the deity is poured into Jesus Christ. He is fully man, and he is fully God. And this mystery is great, but this assertion is true. Jesus is God. And God is omniscient. He knows everything, past, present, and future. Nothing is hidden. So so in this mystery, I wonder, what does this look like? Paul says Jesus gave himself for him. And while God the Son knew he was offering salvation to humanity, Paul says Jesus knew, I'll stay on this cross despite my fear, despite the torture. I'll stay so Paul can be saved. And Paul says he loved me. And he gave himself for me. And picture in the omniscience of God the Son thoughts that must include, well, everything, right? Because he's, he's God. And in the conglomerate of every assertion and truth, there in that moment he gave his life had to be this thought. But if I call on angels for a rescue, if I avoid the cross, who will save Paul? And Jesus would rather forfeit a rescue for himself than spend eternity away from Paul. And friends, the good news is it's true of you as well. Jesus would rather die than spend an eternity away from you. That's how valued you are. That's how much love Jesus has for you. You know, I, I don't know why specifically horrific things, seemingly impossible things occur in this world. Why do we lose some to an untimely death? Why are some children born healthy and some are born with heart defects? Why has a pandemic, a virus like COVID, halted the world as we know it? And yes, broadly, we can speak biblically to this. The world has fallen. And broadly, we can say that this world has been marred by sin, and we see it all over the place. We live in a Genesis 3 world, and we live in this fallen state. But when it comes to specifics, why did this happen? Why did this happen? I think the Bible would call us to be humble and admit that many times we don't know. Case by case. We don't always know why terrible things occur. We don't always know why. But friends, I believe we know who. And I think maybe who is more important than why. While Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego escaped their fiery fate, Jesus did not get to escape the fiery furnace of wrath that fell on our sins. And he chose it. And at any moment, he could have abandoned it. And he stayed until death. And for God's glory, he remained. And for us, he gave his life. Who has given his life to right all that is wrong with this world? It is only Jesus Christ.
and in the mystery that is omniscience, the all-knowing power of the deity, I think on the cross the God-man considered, but if I stop this, who will save the world? And I think the God who knows everything thought, but if I don't do this, who will offer Caleb Sands a world where his heart can be fixed? Who will invite Caleb to embrace salvation and offer him a new spiritual heart? Who will stand with Leslie and Aaron if I abandon the cross? And I don't know why my family has to walk down this path. But I know that 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood with us. And he stands with us all in everything that we face today. And I don't know why sometimes bad things happen, but I know who jumps in the fire with us, and it is Christ. It is like we can look at this world, these impossible situations, the the death that we see, viruses, despair, pandemics, and, and we may be tempted to think that God just stands back watching. But what the gospel proclaims is that God looked at this broken world and he jumped into it with us. And he experienced it with us. He jumped right into a world ablaze in the fiery furnace of rebellion and sin. Becoming human, suffering alongside of us, embracing all the mess, experiencing all the sorrow. That we could be rescued and ultimately removed from it to the world made new where tears, death, disease, viruses, and the like are no more. And right now, we taste it. And right now, we can hope for it. I said that when Caleb was born, I wanted God to show up like he did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I wanted him to jump in and to fix this. But I believe the gospel, and I believe what the scriptures declare is God has jumped into the impossible circumstances of our lives. 2,000 years ago, God the Son jumped into this world and died a horrific death to offer us eternal life. I do not know why specifically sometimes we face impossible circumstances, but I know who. I know who's jumped into this world with us, and it is Jesus. And he did it to offer us a world with no more tears, no more death, No more mourning, no more pandemics, no more heart defects. You know, when I preach, I have found it helpful to proclaim what I'm not preaching. I have found through the years that's a great thing. What am I not preaching today? I would hate for my message to be mistaken as this. Man, this world can be terrible and it can be difficult, but hey, at least we get to go to heaven one day, right? Please hear me, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus' message isn't, well, things are terrible, but you get to go to heaven one day. Rather, what Jesus says is, I will jump into this world with you, and I will give you a love, and I will give you a relationship where you can have a joy that circumstance doesn't get to dictate. The world says they're happy if the bank account's okay. The world says they're happy if their health is okay. But Jesus says, right now, I offer you an abundant life where because you know me, your soul is okay. 
and you taste that now, and you experience an abundant life now. And yes, ultimately, the gospel does say that if you will put your faith in Jesus, if you will follow him, yes, you are promised heaven. Yes, you are promised a place in the new heaven and the new earth. But don't forget, right now we taste it. When we experience this fellowship, we taste it. When we can worship God together, we experience it. That the abundant life that Jesus offers starts now and, yes, continues for eternity. And that's why I believe that if, if we believe these scriptures that we have considered, then we will make this next step. And the next step is this. When you face an impossible circumstance, walk with the one more powerful than the circumstance. Why? Why is this happening? A common question in the midst of difficulties. Situations where we feel we do not have enough power or strength to conquer them. Why did this happen? But do not let the consideration of why blind you to who. Who jumped in this mess of a fallen world and who chose to remain on the cross so that you could be rescued. Jesus, who could have called down legions of angels and escaped the cross, but knew you and loved you so much that he remained Christ. So if you need to call upon him today for salvation, if you need to start a relationship with him today that will last for eternity, do so. If you are saved, but you know you've been drifting from him, return. Because I do not know what circumstance you're facing today, but I know who died for you. I know who's greater than any circumstance you face, and it is the Son of God. So in whatever next step he's called you to take, walk with him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time that we've been able to spend in your word. God, we thank you that you have left us historical accounts when you stood with people in the midst of circumstances that seem impossible. We thank you that when we turn to your scriptures, we see the historical account of your son Jesus and how he stood for your glory and he stood for our salvation and that gives us hope today. God, we face a world that has been impacted by a pandemic we face a world that's facing so many obstacles today. But we, may we not fail to see that you are the one who jumped into this world with us. That right now you stand with us and you promise a world one day where these things are gone. But right now, may we live in this abundant life that you offer us in Jesus. May we proclaim his good news to a fallen world. And may we look for his redemption. And Jesus, it is in your name that we pray. As we close with a, a final song of worship, I'll be right down here. If, if there's something on your heart, if you need to pray, or if you feel like God has been speaking to you, feel free to come as we close.